Today on Not Sam Wrestling, Sting announces his retirement, the latest on why we will not be fantasy booking Randy Orton. And on the heels of announcing that TNA is back, we attempt to tell the story of the little promotion that could and still does. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. I can't believe it. We're here again. Welcome, everybody, to Not Sam Wrestling, the big 470, 470. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Uh, I, I, I think I would like to start... With the fact that, you know, we're covering a, a week's worth of wrestling. And it really starts with what I, what I think to a lot of people was a surprise. But realistically, when you look at it, it more, to me anyway, explains the story of where WWE is, I think, in a lot of our eyes. And I, I want to talk about uh, last week on Monday Night Raw, after Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso... Capture the imagination of everybody. And, of course, there's no way that the WWE could have predicted how well the two of them would do at that press conference. I think it was it was half... Well, I didn't even know how to divide it into fractions because I know wrestling, not math. But part of it was because WWE, as a hot product, is at the point now where people love the baby faces and they hate the heels. And... It's a beautiful thing, but it makes it so that Jey Uso, in going over to Monday Night Raw specifically, has become one of the top baby faces in the company. And Cody Rhodes is obviously established as one of, if not the top baby face in the company. So when you when you pair the two of them together and you tell just a little bit of backstory, just a little bit of backstory where you know that a lot of people don't trust Jay Uso. And a lot of people question why Jay Uso is on their show. This is the story that we're being told. But Cody Rhodes is the one that brought him over to Raw. That Cody Rhodes presumably brought him to, brought him to Monday Night Raw to give the fans something that they wanted. Now, I there has to be more to it than that, right? In the sense that he made himself somewhat of a pariah in the locker room, if nobody wants Jey Uso there, but Cody's bringing him, even if he did it for the fans, very altruistic reason, realistically, the rest of the locker room is going to be very, very mad at you. For instance, Drew McIntyre, but also because he brought Jey Uso to Raw, Sami Zayn is left without a tag team partner. As much as Sami confronted Jey Uso and said, that's your fault, realistically, it's just as much Cody's fault because Cody told us at the pay-per-view, he went on the Grayson Waller effect, and he told us that he had used his stroke to get Jey Uso on Monday Night Raw. So with that as the background information and the fact that people don't like Jey Uso, we're left with an understanding that, yes, people don't like Jey Uso in the locker room. But as Jey's only friend, Cody, and maybe Cody put himself in a position where people are looking at him crooked, too that Jay and Cody might have something to prove together. And that's what they did when they won the tag team championship. So the story was there. People cared. People liked the fact that those are two good guys and we cheer for the good guys. 
but realistically seeing those two at the press conference together and watching them yeet and watching them get Triple H to yeet and, and getting a taste of that contagious energy where we all wanted to be more like Jey Uso. So much so that Cody Rhodes actually seemed like a human being in that press conference. Not, he wasn't infallible. He wasn't Superman. He wasn't there with a with a mission. We got a taste of Cody Rhodes just hanging with his buddy. And we liked it. So Cody and Jey Uso end up being this 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 really popular team. And only a week after winning the tag team championship, they lose it to the judgment day. Now, to me, I go, okay, interesting, because I would have liked to have seen those two hold the tag team championship longer. But I'm ready to see where it's going next. Clearly, there's a reason here, right? And then I look at what kind of the feedback on that move is. And I find it very, very interesting that wrestling fans... For, for the most part, from what I saw, are like, oh, man, that's really disappointing. But they're letting him cook. They're going, that's really disappointing that that happened. I wonder why. And I think people forget that only a couple of years ago, if that had happened, people wouldn't have said, oh, that's disappointing that Cody and Jay lost the tag team championship. I wonder why. They'd go, that is so stupid that Cody and Jay lost the tag team championship. The WWE has no idea what they're doing anymore, and they're not listening to their fan base. I think the fact that they're not saying that now is not because, oh, you've forgotten, or, oh, Triple H is in some honeymoon period, or, oh, it's because WWE creative has done what something that I've, I've, I've talked about before on the show, which is they've built up a level of, of confidence. They've built credibility with the audience to the extent that everything, more or less since WrestleMania 38, but certainly since WrestleMania 39, has made sense on some kind of cohesive level. Even the ending of SummerSlam, where people are still a little wonky on if they're accepting of the Jimmy and Jay split. The fact that Jimmy is, is kind of interesting as a wormy guy trying to get back in the bloodline and Jay is a full-on baby face, they go, okay, I'll accept it. When Cody lost the world title match at WrestleMania, it was like, what are they doing? Do they have any idea? Vince must be back is what people said. And guess what? We get to November almost. It's almost November. We're just outside of November and Cody Rhodes is still just as popular as he was. And when you look at what happened on SmackDown a couple of weeks ago when Cody and Roman faced off, you got this immediate feeling that if those two were to meet again, it would be a bigger match than it was at WrestleMania 39. And it goes, oh, makes you go, I guess we can trust that they know what they're doing now. So I just thought it was interesting that even though I think most of us were disappointed that Cody and Jey Uso lost the tag team championship, that realistically we were saying, but I trust that there's a reason for it. I, 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 I can accept that something bigger is going to happen here. And the story beats have been done in such a way where I trust that it's at least gonna hold my interest. And it has been holding our interest. There's a lot of uh, interesting things 
going on in the world of of professional wrestling right now. Uh, not the least of which is everything that's happening in Impact Wrestling. You know, we don't talk a ton about Impact Wrestling here on Not Sam Wrestling, only because we are on once a week, and there's a lot of 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 wrestling to cover these days, every single week. But we forget sometimes that there is a, a third major American anyway, or you could say it was global wrestling promotion. And that's, that's impact or it's impact as it stands in a couple of months, won't be impact no more. And I say that because uh, bound for glory was over the weekend and impact. And I have said this on the show and I've had uh, Brian Myers on the show to talk about it a little bit uh, that impact has low key just been running great show after great show. I, I I went to, I didn't get to go to Impact 1000, the TV taping, but I went to the uh, Impact Plus live event before that show, the Friday, I guess it was. And it was an awesome, awesome show. It had a little bit of everything. I saw, you know, Bully Ray versus PCO and Tommy Dreamer winning the new media championship and or digital media championship, should be new media championship, but digital media championship and, all that stuff in the Westchester County Center. And, you know, I've been following the product, obviously. We we are supposed to be watching the product. But seeing it live and sitting down for a show and everything, I was like, this is great. There's a little bit of of everything. It's going, it's, it's going back to its roots with some of the best women's wrestling. People forget that before the WWE got out of the, the, the diva space and realized, like, oh, we've got women here that can headline a WrestleMania – the TNA knockouts division was way, way, way ahead of its time. And now with the with the women's roster that they have over there and the fact that that I think if you talk to them, I mean, maybe we'll have somebody on the show to speak on this, that the idea of being a TNA knockout is something that people hold with pride once again. And I think that that's a really cool thing. But TNA had another good show over the weekend, Bound for Glory. Uh some of the highlights, you know, you had uh, you had the uh, Battle Royal full of surprise entrants, including Sonny Kiss, who people have been wondering uh, where Sonny Kiss is going to end up after leaving AEW. Well, Sonny Kiss was in the Battle Royal. I don't know if Sonny is in a uh, uh, Impact full time or if it was just for Bound for Glory, but Matt Cardona also popped up in that Battle Royal. Now, Matt Cardona has not signed, but... He loves going show to show to show. He loves popping up at MLW, popping up at Impact, and that's the way it should be. I think the standout match for a lot of people was Will Ospreay versus Speedball Mike Bailey. And I mean, look, if you put you could put Will Ospreay versus Mike Bailey on any AEW pay-per-view, and it'd be like, oh my God, you got to see what AEW is doing over here. Mike Bailey and Will Ospreay going at it on American pay-per-view from Chicago is, is an amazing, amazing thing. So check out the show if you get a chance. But I think the most newsworthy part of the show was what happened at the end when the announcement was made that TNA is officially coming back. A video was played with some of what we've come to know as the stars of Impact talking with pride about where they are and where they want to go and who they want to be and taking ownership over that. And then those letters came up. And you can look all over the internet. People were super pumped 
that those three initials are coming back. And the crowd responded to it instantly, chanting TNA, TNA. Uh, they said that, um, first of all, TNA has had a, a, a pretty good run uh, internationally. In the UK, TNA had a real period of being a hot, hot, uh, wrestling promotion in the sense that it did great TV ratings. You know, it was, it was, it was a big deal. And in other countries, as a matter of fact, uh, but they also said that uh, impact wanted to uh, unite the fragmented history of the company. This is what Scott, De, Scott DeMore said in a, in a press release, I believe that not only is this about the fact that everywhere they go, the crowd still chant TNA. This company has been impact wrestling for years, but casually, when you're talking with friends, oh, where's he now? TNA? Where's she now? Is she going to TNA? Nobody, people don't stop saying TNA. That's what they know the product as, I think. And people chant TNA at those shows. So they said that combined with the fact that they want to unite the fragmented history of this company has resulted in them deciding that uh, on January 13th, TNA returns with Hard to Kill. So we'll have Impact Wrestling for the rest of the year. And then starting with that pay-per-view, Hard to Kill, the TNA branding comes back. And Hard to Kill is the perfect name for a pay-per-view that that brings TNA back. Uh, you know, I think the reason that they got away from TNA is branding the promotion as such was uh, yeah, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, the name was always a little cheesy. It was a product of that post-Attitude Era wrestling where you're still trying to be controversial. What's TNA? No, 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 total nonstop action. What did you think it was? You know, of course, that's why it was originally named NWA TNA. Uh, and, and then even I think more damaging than NWA TNA was LOL TNA, LOL TNA which uh, took over the internet for a while and it was a way of highlighting all of the mistakes that TNA made over the years. And there's been a lot of them. But the reason that TNA has made so many mistakes over the years is because they've been around for so many years. Um, when they talked about the fact that there's a fragmented history of the company, I thought it would be a great opportunity to talk about this company and to talk about that fragmented history and to try to put it all together into what exactly is TNA in 2023? And why are so many people so excited about this promotion changing its name back to what they know it as? The fact is that when you look at it, I mean, TNA was started in 2002. It's 21 years old. The difference between WrestleMania 1 and WrestleMania 20 is how long TNA has been in existence. There's a lot of people that grew up with TNA. There was a period of time where TNA in the UK was easier to find than WWE was. And, and, and people that are young adults now might have grown up watching TNA wrestling. And I mean, think about the legends that came from TNA and did some of their best work in TNA. I'm talking about AJ Styles. I'm talking about Samoa Joe. I'm talking about Bobby Roode, America's Most Wanted, beer money. Think about the, the matches that Kurt Angle had in TNA, the stuff that Jay Lethal did 
in TNA. There's so much there. And when you talk about a wrestling organization that somehow has managed to stay in business for 21 years, it is to me among the most fascinating stories in the history of the industry that TNA has been around for this long. It's incredible. It's kind of unheard of, right? When you look at a company like ECW, who was at the height of its popularity when it went out of business. TNA has had plenty of moments that ECW had in the sense that they go, uh-oh, we're heading up towards a brick wall. Uh-oh, I don't see any way to get out of this. And they find a way to get out of this. ECW couldn't do it. And they were, like I said, at the height of their popularity, filling up the Hammerstein ballroom. You can go back in time and see like, you know, the 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 the, the world-class championship wrestling to the world. So many territories that were so hot for a period of time and just couldn't figure out. So many of these companies last for a couple of years and then they're gone. They just have a very, for, pardon the pun, impactful couple of years. But TNA, TNA just keeps on a rolling. TNA started in 2002. It was NWA TNA, Jeff Jarrett and Jerry Jarrett, Jeff's father, uh, founded the company reportedly, I want to say uh, Jeff put in somewhere around $600,000. Jerry Jarrett put in somewhere around $300,000. It was, a, I guess, a, a two-thirds, one-third uh, split. Um, and they created TNA. They were talking with Bob Ryder about it. And Bob Ryder is a, is a, is a legend in terms of wrestling reporting and working backstage. He uh, worked with WCW for some time. He, he, he did a lot of the very, very early internet wrestling stuff as far back as 1994, 1995, maybe even before that, I don't know. So this was after WCW had went out of business and ECW was no more. And Bob Ryder and the Jarrett's were hanging out and they were talking about the fact that WWE had this monopoly over wrestling and, and the reason for that realistically was because TV networks didn't want to put wrestling on anymore. If it wasn't WWE, they didn't want to put it on. ECW could not get a national television deal. They went out of business. WCW, when it got thrown off Turner, could not get a national television deal. That's why Eric Bischoff and his partners weren't able to buy it because his partners did not see any value in that company without a TV deal. And Vince McMahon was able to buy it for pennies on the dollar because no television channels wanted to put ECW or WCW on their screen. However, WWE was doing great business. WWE in 2002 was doing really well. It's just the only wrestling people wanted to put on TV. So Bob Ryder and Jarrett said, well, look, there clearly is an audience for this. There is money to be made in this world of wrestling. But we can't get a national TV deal. How do we get our product in front of eyeballs? And they decided to do something fairly unprecedented, which is present their product as a pay-per-view only product. And at the time it was crazy, but nowadays you have podcasts that go exclusively to Patreon, right? If you wanna hear this podcast, you have to pay for the Patreon monthly and you will get the podcast, but otherwise it's not there. That's kind of what they did before Patreon existed on pay-per-view. It was a less expensive pay-per-view than what WWE was doing monthly by a lot. I think it was like five or $10 a week for the weekly two hour show. And they brought on Vince Russo 
to uh, help with creative and they brought in the NWA titles. So that way, not only did they have a couple of names to begin with, you know, they had Sean Waltman, they had Scott Hall, they had, you know, names here and there, but they also had the NWA branding on all of their championships. So it added a, a credibility, theoretically, to it. Uh, and they would do their shows out of the asylum. Um, it, it, the, it's a mixed bag, really, this era of TNA, because there there is good wrestling on it. But at the same time, that post-Attitude era was a weird, weird time because people hadn't really figured out that the culture was shifting and they were still trying to be as controversial as possible. So, you know, you had men in fully flesh-colored outfits coming out looking like anatomy. You had little people coming to the ring with firearms. Like, it was, some of it was, LOLTNA started almost immediately from the asylum years. But um, pretty quickly, as a matter of fact, in October of 2002, uh, as, as the Jarrett's were kind of realizing, look, mathematically, the amount of eyes that we'd have to have on this product, because we're not making any money selling tickets. We're not doing these live shows. The amount of people that would have to buy these pay-per-views every single week in order to make this company profitable is a lot. So before they could go out of business, they were able to find another business to put a little money into it. In fact, there was a lot of money into it. Panda Energy, which was owned by the Carters, Robert Carter, whose daughter was Dixie Carter, uh, they bought 72%, I believe, of NWA TNA and took over controlling interest in the company. Uh, by 2003, Dixie Carter was named president. Uh, and in by 2004, they stopped their weekly pay-per-views and they started doing TV every week on Fox Sportsnet, which was like a, a, a kind of a young at that point. The Fox Sports Network still exists today. FS1, I think, is... is this was FS1 in the very, very beginning phases of it. Um, they also dropped the NWA from their name and they simply became TNA Wrestling. And this is also when they brought in the six-sided ring. Now, I think the six-sided ring, even though people, generally speaking, when you, when you listen to interviews with wrestlers, they don't like the six-sided ring. They don't like working in the six-sided ring. I guess it's just, it's difficult and it hurts more. But it did differentiate the product a lot. It did make it so as you were flipping the dial, you saw something that was wrestling, but it looked different. So you immediately went to it. And that's a lot of what TNA was, right? Like it was an alternative, but you couldn't exactly put your finger on what it was in the sense that like the six-sided ring was different, but could you do anything in a six-sided ring that you couldn't do in a four-sided ring? I I don't know. I don't know if six sides, they would say, well, there's, you know, two more ropes. <laughs> You're like, I mean, I guess. I just don't know for sure if it necessarily lends to more action. However, because they worked in an action-packed way, it felt like there was. The X Division became extremely popular in TNA. What was the X Division? I don't know. Nobody ever knew. There was never any definition as to what it was, but when AJ Styles and Samoa Joe and Christopher Daniels and those guys were wrestling for the X Division title, they were some of the best wrestling matches that you could find on television. So it led you to go, 
Well, there's no X division on WWE, and the X division rules. So that's one of the things I like about TNA. What is the X division? I don't know. Um, it was only a year in, though. In May of 2005, uh, their F Fox Sports Network contract expired. Uh, so they didn't have a TV deal for a little bit of time. And again, it looked like, oh boy, what are we going to do here? Like, like, how are we going to continue on? They kept doing monthly pay-per-views. And there were some, this is an era, 2005 TNA is like this era where you're just getting these great matches from these people who are future titans of this industry, many of which are still wrestling today on the tippity-tippity top of the card. But what ended up happening was they got the deal with Spike TV. So in I, so for in May of 2005, the Fox Sports Network deal goes kaput. They're, and thank goodness Bob Ryder was there uh, because they were kind of like only on the internet. You could get the TNA episodes like online. I think that internationally it was on television. How to make your partner like you again with Postmates. Hear that? That's salmon sashimi. Fresh. So fresh, you're muting email. Not now, Carol. Because you're busy using chopsticks. Oh, yeah. And not venting about traffic on the 405. Shh. As soy drips on your stretchy sweatpants. <gasps> Get sashimi on Postmates. For $30 off your first three orders of $35 or more, use code LA30. Terms apply. But 2005, like... It was still difficult to watch weekly television on the internet. That wasn't going on that much yet in 2005. Not everybody had high-speed internet even in 2005. But that's how they got by from May to October. And then in October uh, is when they got the Spike TV deal. And that really changed everything for TNA Wrestling. That was when they became something that people were watching every single week like this i know i love tna this is what i do every thursday night i i watch it's in the impact zone uh, immediately they started getting new talent in there when they signed with spike tv they were able to not only capitalize on guys like samoa joe and aj styles but team 3d the former dudley boys showed up i want to say on the first episode of the spike tv show but it was very early on into the spike tv run that's also when they started getting guys like christian who was huge in TNA. TNA was so important for Christian Cage. And realistically, like if you look, he started to develop something in WWE when it was, at last, you're on your own. And he had that glittery, you know, warm-up suit that he wore to the ring. Christian really started doing some cool stuff. But WWE never really wanted to go all the way with him. So he went over to TNA and he became a main event guy over there and everybody bought into him. I think that's where you really started to develop fans that were like, no, I'm a Christian fan. I'm a ride or die for that dude. And I almost feel like he goes back to WWE. It's better than the last time he was there, but still he's not as big in WWE as he was in TNA. I think it's like the two WWE runs are one version of Christian and then TNA and AEW are the other version of Christian. And that's what TNA got. But they had Christian, you know, Sting, Kevin Nash, Kurt Angle, Booker T, Main Event Mafia, Mick Foley was there. It was great. It really started to get pretty good. Um, 
And then in October of 2009, they want to really compete, right? I don't know if they're making a profit, when they start making a profit. They're still doing stuff out of the impact zone. So again, it's not like a big touring company, but they did start doing monthly pay-per-views in larger venues. They'd start to get outside of the impact zone for their pay-per-views and draw, you know, a considerable amount of people, not different from what NXT is doing now. You know, you could compare the Performance Center, I think, to the impact zone, certainly. And NXT runs quarterly instead of monthly, pretty much, for their pay-per-views. But that's that's kind of where, where TNA was at, but they were on Spike TV. Um, and then in October of 2009, so four years or, yeah, four years into the run on Spike TV, Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff show up. Uh, and this is where things start to get wonky. Dixie Carter wants to be able to compete. Dixie Carter is not happy being an alternative to WWE that is a smaller company that is just something that caters to wrestling fans. Dixie Carter wants to be the next WWE. And so what she does is she brings in Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff. Uh, Vince Russo has already come back which is awkward as all hell because the last time Vince Russo, Eric Bischoff, and Hulk Hogan saw each other, they were in court suing each other over wrestling storylines. Uh, but a lot changed here, right? They switched back to a four-sided ring instead of a six-sided ring, which a lot of the TNA kind of hardcores did not love because six-sided rings were what they'd become familiar with and also just a, just such a such a, a, a aesthetic part of the TNA brand. Um, but they also uh, uh, decided it was time to go head to head. This is when they decided to go head to head with Monday Night Raw. They said, no, TNA needs to be on Monday nights. Impact needs to be on Monday nights, head to head with Monday Night Raw. And it, like the head start that WWE had above them, it, like it, it, it was not the smartest move in the world. And and it does go back, like history repeats itself. The same way when AEW was like, okay, we're gonna end up for this week only going head to head with NXT. And WWE goes, oh, you are? Oh, okay, we'll have Cody Rhodes, John Cena, The Undertaker, LA Knight, Solo Soko. Like everybody is gonna be on this show. The first night that TNA decided to run Impact head to head with Monday Night Raw, they got an hour head start on them. And Monday Night Raw was still going, okay, no problem. Bret Hart is returning to WWE and he's going to confront Shawn Michaels. And it was like, if you're a wrestling fan, what are you watching on this Monday night? So needless to say, they got clobbered. Uh, they would wait a couple months, but then they would go to Monday nights full time. And this is the era when, I mean, some good things happened, right? Jeff Hardy came back. That was good. Ric Flair came in. Rob Van Dam came in. But also like they brought in like the Nasty Boys and and Bubba the Love Sponge, and a lot of, I mean, there was some heavy, heavy LOL TNA going on here as well. Um, the, the, the switch to Mondays was fairly short-lived. And I think Spike TV on some level must have known because they left the Thursday time slot open. It would be, they'd go live on Monday night, head-to-head -head with Raw. But then on the Thursday 8 p.m. time slot that Impact was usually in, they would run an Impact replay. So they were just like, okay, we're not going to do Mondays anymore. We're going to go right back to Thursdays. And so they did. Um, TNA started to lose a lot of steam at this point. Like, 
when TNA was just an alternative that was over here doing its own thing. That's when they were at their peak. When it was like, yeah, go ahead. Watch Raw on Monday and SmackDown on Tuesday, whatever day of the week SmackDown was on at that point, I don't remember. But they go, over here on Thursday, we've got this other show with these guys on it, six-sided ring. If you like it, come watch our show too. And that's kind of when TNA was at its best, when it wasn't sitting there going, no, we're competing, we're better than them. Watch us instead of, no. Like, okay, you like that? That's cool. Watch us too. And people were into it. When TNA started going, watch us instead of WWE, people stopped watching. And they were making a lot of mistakes at that point. And there were a lot of difficulties. Now, it wasn't all bad. You know, Sting had this incredible resurgence. Again, the likes of which he's having in AEW right now. Sting as Joker Sting was a whole new deal. Aces and eights. That was, I mean, it didn't ever really paid off. It got a little sloppy by the end, but in the beginning, aces and eights was was killer. So in 2012, um, Panda Energy, either Panda Energy went out of business or they just got out of the wrestling business. And uh, basically uh, the 72% stake that Panda had went individually to Dixie Carter and her father, Robert Carter. So now these two, and not a, not a bigger company, these two individuals uh, are the ones that were in charge. And 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 then the tri- they started to go downhill really, really fast, right? So we've already had multiple moments where it's like, I don't know if we're gonna be able to stay in business, but now it's become a real mess, right? They lose AJ Styles in uh, 2013. And AJ Styles is, you could say, it's to it what WCW had with Sting realistically what WWF had from 1985 until 1992 with Hulk Hogan is what TNA had with AJ Styles. Not to say that AJ Styles became a household name, but to say that when you think of WWF, Hogan's the guy you think of. When you think of WCW, Sting's the guy you think of. I came to see Sting. I came to see Hogan. AJ Styles was that guy. And the rumor is that they offered him like a 60% pay cut and he was like i can't do this and that's when aj styles left tna and it was the best thing he ever could have done who knows if he if he had stayed there he might still be there but instead he went over to japan and started working with the bullet club and that's what eventually would lead him to wwe and i think a lot of him going over to wwe is what opened the wwe's eyes to how much talent there had been at tna this entire time uh jeff jarrett ends up on the outs with the company the guy who founded the company ends up on the outs with the company first as somebody who has lost all of his power and is now just a performer. And eventually he was not even on TV at all anymore. Uh, They'd continue to lose talent through 2014. And then at the end of 2014, TNA lost its deal with Spike. The deal that they had in 2005 after nine years, TNA lost its its TV deal. And now, now they're struggling. Now they're trying to figure out what to do. Um, First, they move their show to Destination America, which ends up doing huge for Destination America. But that's comparative to what Destination America usually does, right? Like, you know, a lot of houses didn't have Destination America. Spike TV was a top, top cable network. Destination America was not. But still, I mean, people tuned in for it on Destination America more than usually tuned in to Destination America. So you got to give them that. Um, 
this is where uh, I believe, yeah, where 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 Billy Corgan comes in, right? Later in uh, in 2015, uh, Billy Corgan joins the company first as a as a top level producer. Then in 2016, he would become the president of TNA Wrestling. Now they'd go from Destination America over to another network called Pop TV, which again. Not exactly a top cable network, but a cable network nonetheless. And they were still doing cool stuff, right? This was around the time when, like, the EC3 storyline was going on. And Ethan Carter III was a huge, huge star in TNA. This is when Bobby Lashley is doing his thing over there. This is when Drew McIntyre, as as Drew Galloway, is doing his thing. Like, there, there's still stuff happening. It's just they're having trouble getting it in front of the amount of eyeballs that they need to get it in front of. Um, so through uh, 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 2016, uh, Billy Corgan becomes the president of TNA. But then within like two or three months, he sued the company. Because apparently, and I don't know if this is true, I guess there's some kind of deal where he was putting a lot of money into TNA. And the idea was that he was gonna be able to buy the company. That's why it made sense for him to put all this money into TNA. But then they were like, yeah, we're not gonna sell it to you. And he was like, well, then I want all my money back. Like that, the whole point was, this is almost like a down payment. And they were like, yeah, we don't wanna give you your money back. And so he would end up suing them. Uh, they would also lose his funding, which was pretty important to the whole operation. Uh, so they were looking at, at what are we going to do? How are we going to fund these shows? Are we going to end up going into bankruptcy? And that's when this company, Anthem, which is a Canadian company uh, that was, I believe they own the Fight Network. They were broadcasting TNA in Canada. Anthem comes in and they go, okay, we're going to save you from bankruptcy. We're going to take over your debts. And so they helped them out by taking over their debts. And then eventually they would buy the controlling interest in the company. And I think they would lower Dixie Carter's stock in the company down to like 5% or something like that. So she had no say anymore. She was just an investor and that's it. Um, that was at the point that TNA, this is 2016 or so, decided to rebrand uh, to become Impact Wrestling. Again, I think because TNA had developed such a stink going from network to network to network losing talent. They developed a reputation for not paying talent. The internet was laughing at them. It was bad. It was a bad time branding wise. So they said, you know, impact means impact. Everybody knows what it means. Let's just go with that. From now on, we're impact wrestling. They would also bring Jeff Jarrett in. Now, Jeff Jarrett had left TNA and he had started this company called Global Force Wrestling. Now, when I say he started the company, that was kind of it, right? He had created the brand. He had a logo. He had title belts, but he didn't have a TV show. He didn't have a touring schedule. He didn't have anything like that. He was kind of taking this brand and just partnering with companies. And so he partnered with Impact Wrestling. Um, in June of 2017, Impact Wrestling actually branded, rebranded themselves. At first, it was almost this like uh, 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 invasion, like, rivalry between brands where you had impact wrestling versus global global force wrestling and you had both titles at stake even though global force had kind of just been invented and then their partnership got to the point where they were like okay i guess we're global force now and impact wrestling rebranded themselves global force in june of 2017 
But then by October, so June, July, August, September, October, four months later, they're not Global Force Wrestling anymore. Now they're back to Impact, and there's a lawsuit going on with Jeff Jarrett that apparently got settled out of court. So now we're getting into 2018. We're once again rebranded to Impact Wrestling. So we've gone from NWA TNA to TNA to Impact to Global Force Wrestling, back to Impact, and now it's 2018, and Anthem uh, has put Don Callis and Scott Demore in place as they start to rebuild uh, Impact Wrestling. Uh, and they did. You know, and it, it was just through doing shows. They started playing much smaller venues, much more realistic venues. They started uh, finding talent that they could count on kind of regularly to put on good matches. They started doing a ton of tapings all in one shot um, and, and almost started rebuilding from scratch to an extent. Um they ended up going into the pandemic and they they put shows on throughout the entire pandemic, wrestling in completely empty rooms for, for basically the whole pandemic, which, I mean, when you look at the companies that couldn't stay, Ring of Honor couldn't stay in business after the pandemic. And somehow TNA or, or Impact Wrestling at the time figured out a way. They partnered with AEW in 2020 and 2021. You remember with Don Callis and Kenny Omega Tony Schiavone and Tony Khan would be doing bits on the on the Impact TV show, which really, by now or by this point, was only really on Twitch, I think. I don't know if it was on any television network, but after 2021 or within in 2021, uh, that partnership would cease. Don Callis would leave Impact and he would go with Kenny Omega and join AEW to be the performer that he is now. And it's left Scott Demore in charge of TNA or, or Impact Wrestling, which he is now, and they've been putting on great shows and they've been building and building and building and building to the point where now the announcement has been made that Impact Wrestling goes back to being TNA in January. Now, I don't think they're bringing back the six-sided ring, which I think is a bummer. I think they should bring back the six-sided ring. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe from a, a, a wrestler's perspective, that's not the greatest thing in the world to do. But from a fan perspective, just as, as somebody that watches and and likes it when things are differentiated, I think it's a good idea. Um, I, I do not remember a time where there was this much goodwill, I guess, is the, is the right terminology, around TNA. I feel like there's a lot of fans that want this to succeed for this company, a lot of fans that want... TNA to, to finally, finally find its way. I think there's room for a TNA in this wide, wide world of professional wrestling right now. Uh, and I think it's cool. Again, I mean, it, it works out for all of us when there's more promotions doing well and it really works out for wrestlers that we're fans of because they're able to make a living, you know? Josh Alexander is able to be a world champion. Is he going to be a world champion in WWE or AEW? Maybe, maybe not. Not that he's, I mean, Alex Shelley is the Impact World Champion right now, but Josh Alexander is a former world champion. But that's what I mean. Alex Shelley is able to actively compete on a main event level. That's a fun thing to be able to say in 2023. Why? Because we've got a promotion like Impact Wrestling. And it's third person in charge. You could say, well, Ring of Honor still exists. Well, not really. 
You know, that's like saying NXT and WWE are two separate products. Like they're two separate shows, but it's one body, you know, that's making the decisions over it. So I'm interested to see um, if it does make a change, if, if, if it makes a difference. I think it will. And I hope it will. You know, I, I think that I think that in this change, because they've said that the talent will be remain the same for the most part, that storylines will continue to kind of play over. It's not like they're gonna do a, a full restart, but they do have new title belts, which are either the old ones redone or brand new ones that say TNA on them. I would imagine they'll keep the logo or if not, you know, tweak it very minimally so that people still can kind of cash in on that nostalgia, which is what they should be doing. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I, I think that, yeah, they should try to figure out whatever changes they can make in terms of production value, not because TNA needs to change in terms of production value, but just so it looks a little different, right? Like it's a little, when you watch the show right now, just in terms of, of television quality, it's a little grayed. The colors don't pop. Shine some more light on the ring. Something like that. Just make it look a little different for when TNA first, uh, first or, or, or arrives once more, I should say. The resurrection of TNA, Hard to Kill, in January. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty cool thing. And, if, and, and, and I also think that while we're in this world when the Von Erics are getting a movie from A24 and and OVW has a docu-series on Netflix. I can't think of, of well, I guess, you know, the, they're talking about the Vince McMahon uh, multi-part documentary that's going to be on Netflix that Bill Simmons is doing. Man, a documentary, a multi, a docu-series on the life of TNA, it'd be incredible. It'd be incredible. Because we just spent all that time talking about it. We barely scratched the surface. Can you imagine the stories people have? My God. My God. Well, speaking of incredible, we've seen the incredible Jade Cargill on TV quite a bit. Jade Cargill is uh, almost becoming the new Veer, the Triple H version of Veer, in the sense that every week on Raw, Veer was coming, you know? We always found out about it. Just made the announcement, hey, Veer is coming. Oh, okay, good to know. Jade Cargill is, uh, she is is never Going to stop popping up on TV screens. She was said uh, in, in the in the on the ramp, not the entrance ramp, but like the uh, loading dock ramp, out back behind uh, Fast Lane. She was then on uh, NXT, getting out of her car in the parking lot. She was then on SmackDown when she had her confrontation with Charlotte Flair. She was on Raw when she had a confrontation with Becky Lynch, and then she was on NXT once more at the very end of the show looking at her watch, zoomed in. Not like the camera was very close to her, meaning she was on screen via Zoom or Skype or something like that, just looking at her watch, checking, saying, when am I going to come? When am I going to be here? It's going to be soon. And I think it will be. I think it should be. It kind of has to be. Um, the thing about it is that expectations are monumentally high for Jade Cargill. Now, they always were going to be. There was no way to do this Jade Cargill thing without having her be a main event person. That's the thing about Jade Cargill. It's just by, even if they hadn't hyped it at all, even if they hadn't mentioned that she was coming, the minute that she walked into an arena, 
you go, oh, that must be a top tier person. If that's not a top tier person, I don't understand who they are or why they look like that. Because that person looks like somebody who's in the main event tonight. Now that she's been teased on every show that WWE has and a premium live event, there's no way that Jade Cargill can show up and not immediately go after either a title or one of the tippity top stars on WWE. And I don't know who it'll be. It could be any of those people or it could be none of them. It could be Rhea Ripley. It could be, but it has to be, right? Uh, it has to be either Charlotte or Becky Lynch, who we saw her confront, Bianca Belair or Rhea Ripley. Like I can't imagine her why she would go after anybody else, unless it's like she comes out to announce she's going to be at a, at, on on a premium live event, and it's going to be her debut match, and the debut match is against you know whoever to just to give her a victory. Like I guess she could have her debut match against like whoever Tegan Knox or whoever that that it'll be a good match, but she'll just win, and then but immediately after that, then she'll have to go on to. This is why I'm here. This is who I'm going after. You know, I, I I, still think, right? It doesn't seem like her first match is going to be at Crown Jewel because Crown Jewel is approaching pretty quickly. So it doesn't seem like that's where we'll see her. But could be Survivor Series. At this point, it's almost like you just have her, I think the first time she shows up in a ring, it should probably be to just announce that she'll be in the Royal Rumble. I I, 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 I feel like, I don't know how else you get to where you're going with her. Every single thing has to be a top tier moment right now. You know, eventually things will cool out and, and she'll be able to exist the same way Bianca and Charlotte and, and top stars do. But right now, it's got to be huge. So I think that the first step is come out in the arena for the first time. Step into the ring. We hear her music. We see the entrance. We see the entire package of who she is. And she gets on a microphone to announce that she's going to be in the Royal Rumble. I would say that she's the first person to announce that she's going to be in the Royal Rumble. You could even do it. You could do it before Survivor Series. You could do it right after Survivor Series, right? Survivor Series is Thanksgiving weekend, end of November. So you could do it to start December, right? A full almost 60 days, you know, maybe six weeks, say, before the Royal Rumble, Jade Cargill comes out to announce, I'm going to be in the Royal Rumble. And she does it in the arena, in the ring, in front of everybody. And then between then and the Rumble, you see her backstage, you see her, but I probably wouldn't show her in, her in an arena again until the Royal Rumble. She's not in front of people again until the Royal Rumble. And that way, when that entrance hits, boom, we've got her. And the first time she has physical contact with anybody, it's the Royal Rumble. And I think the beauty of the Royal Rumble is you can make it so, like she doesn't have to win. She can and if you say that her debut is going to be in the Royal Rumble, I think there'll be a lot of fans that go, oh, well, obviously she's going to win, right? Well, that's why her first match is going to be in the Royal Rumble, but that doesn't, that's not necessarily true. I think that the, the thing about the Rumble is she can just have an incredible moment 
in the Rumble. She can have the Kane spot or not even, or, or have some kind of confrontation with somebody else, right? Think about Edge's return. Edge's return in, in 2020, where he shows up for the Rumble. He didn't win the Rumble, but he had that interaction with Randy Orton. And that's what led to the first big Edge return match against Randy Orton. So I think that the Royal Rumble can bring you to a place where maybe she's got a singles match at the Elimination Chamber. The Elimination Chamber is in Australia, right? So so maybe maybe the idea is her first match is the Royal Rumble, and then her next big match is in that stadium in Australia against somebody big who she had a confrontation with at the Rumble, and then we get her to WrestleMania in some way, shape, or form, whether it's as an exhibition or whether it's in a title match. I think she does need a match at WrestleMania because we're going to be there before too long. But before we get to WrestleMania, you know where we're going to be. We're going to be at Sting's retirement match, apparently. This was the big announcement that Sting made on AEW Dynamite that uh, the first uh, show for AEW that Sting did was at Revolution, I want to say in 2021, 2024. Revolution 2024 is going to be Sting's last wrestling match. He's calling that uh, his retirement show. Um, I think that it should be, especially if AEW is doing a lot more pay-per-views now, I think that this should be, AEW does good tribute shows. When you think about the Brody Lee tribute show, like when AEW decides to put all their energy into one thing, and that's what the show's about, they do a great job. I think AEW is capable of doing a, a remarkable Sting tribute show if that's what they're able to do. And if they can turn Revolution into a kind of full Sting tribute show, and, you know, you can have other matches on there. You can have other scores be settled, other stories be told. But if you could do a full Sting tribute show, because one of the things that's come up, of course, the conversation becomes who's Sting's last match going to be against. And I think you've got to have dignitaries there. You know, you got to have your Ric Flair there. You got to have all your people there. Some people think Darby Allen should be his last match. And to me, I feel like that's a little, the idea of Darby Allen beating Sting is a little predictable. It would be a feel good moment for sure. And maybe that is where they go. And I'm not going to be mad at that if that's where they go. But I think realistically, if you can do a Sting tribute show as Revolution, you put Darby Allen in a match with a big giant heel and you have Darby Allen get a significant wing, win at the Sting tribute show. And then you have Sting versus some heel. It'd be awesome. You know, if MJF was still a heel, MJF would be the no-brainer. But if you can find somebody, and maybe it's one of the Don Callis boys, because Don Callis is such a good villain. Like, you could do Sting versus Kenny Omega. That'd be kind of cool. I know that Kenny Omega's not a Don Callis boy. He's the opposite. But it'd be kind of cool, because what are you going to do? Sting versus Takeshita? Sting versus Omega might be fun. But I want to go in there with the idea that Sting might not win, Right? Because Sting really might not win. Everybody knows the idea is you do the honors, right? When you're going out, you got to do the honors. So if we think, oh, Sting might not win. Sting might do the honors. Well, now we're in a position where it's like, okay, okay. Now now there are real stakes here. We're not just watching. If it's Sting versus Darby Allen, you kind of you kind of know it'll it's going to end with a hug, whoever wins, right? 
And so you'll watch because you're, it's a guaranteed feel-good moment, but you're not on the edge of your seat watching. If you've got Sting versus a villain and Sting may do the honors and the villain might actually win now, now or Sting might win because it's Sting, it's Sting! Then, you know, and then you might be onto something because now you're on the edge of your seat. That's how I'd play the game, I think. Um, speaking of games, a lot of people are trying to play this game with me. A lot of people are talking about rule three. Everybody knows the rules of, Sam, of, of not Sam wrestling, which is, number one, you watch the product. Number two, you speculate wildly, which we've been doing here today. And number three, you don't fantasy book Randy Orton. And I swear, this week is another week of people coming to me going, is it time to fantasy book Randy Orton? Can we fantasy book Randy Orton now? We know he's returning, right? No, we don't know he's returning. Go into YouTube, go on Google and search Randy Orton returning. You'll get one for September. You'll get one for SummerSlam. You'll get, there's so many. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the guarantee that Randy Orton is coming back and he doesn't come back. And there's a tweet that goes out and they go, this is the one now. Um, New merch has been approved. New branding has been approved. And there's a social media marketing campaign ready. There's always a social media marketing. What are you talking about? There's always a social media marketing campaign ready. They live as a social media marketing campaign. This is WWE we're talking about. All they have to do is call their team and go, hey, let the world know Randy's back. And boom, everybody knows. There's no reliable sources to any of this. Now, I'm not saying he's not coming back at Survivor Series. But what I am saying is we've heard it before. Don't get fooled. It's happened too many times. Because you get too excited. Can you imagine Randy Orton versus Roman Reigns? Can you imagine? Not somebody coming and going, I'm the new kid on the block. Like, I finally made it. Not LA Knight going, I've ascended to this level. Now now I can go one-on-one -on -one with Roman Reigns. Not Drew McIntyre going, well, it's finally my time. I'm going to beat Roman Reigns. Not Seth Rollins going, hey, we started at the same time, but now I'm the man and you're the man. I'm going to be the man against you. No. How about the guy coming up and going, hey, kid, call me when you've done half of what I've done. How about the most confident superstar that the WWE has on their potential roster going, do you know what I've done? You could talk about your Superman punches. You could talk about your spears. You could talk about a thousand days, two thousand days, three thousand days, but there's three letters that disrupt all that. R K O. You know, your first main event with Brock Lesnar. Everybody talks about the heist of the century. Seth Rollins coming in, taking the title away from both of you. You know what happened earlier that night? Seth Rollins met the three letters R K and O. I beat Seth Rollins that night. John Cena was the last most decorated champion of all time. There was a unification match between Randy Orton and John Cena. Everybody said, oh, it's John Cena's night. You know what happened? I beat him. Randy Orton. Up top again. The legend killer. You know why they call me the legend killer? Not because I tried to kill legends, because I killed them. And now I'm going to kill your legend, Roman. You kidding me? Randy Orton versus Roman Reigns would be the coolest thing ever. But it's not time to fantasy book it yet. Because we don't know. We don't know. And then somebody sent me, they sent me uh, tweets from uh, Rev Theory, this Twitter account for Rev Theory, the band that does, I hear voices in my head. They go, okay. They're, they send a graphic. Rev Theory 
There was a a graphic tweeted from a Rev Theory Twitter account that says Orton Voices. They go, Sam, is it time to start fantasy booking? All you have to do is click on the Twitter account. The most minimal amount of follow-up research that nobody in wrestling does. All you have to do is find out what the source is. And when you look at that Twitter account, you just scroll down. It's not a verified account. I don't think it's the band's real account. Only thing they tweet about is Randy Orton. And they've been tweeting that Orton Voices graphic since the summer. Since the summer. When they said he was coming back at SummerSlam. And guess what? If he's He might be at Survivor Series. And if he's not at Survivor Series, then we're going to find out he's coming back at the Royal Rumble, though. And if he's not at the Royal Rumble, yeah, but he's going to be back for Mania. And if he's not at Mania, yeah, but he's going to be back for Money in the Bank. And if he's not at Money in the Bank, but he's going to be back for SummerSlam. And we start the cycle again. We can't do it to ourselves. It's not time to fantasy book Randy Orton. Certainly not. And I'll tell you, you could believe me or you don't have to believe me. But when I speculate wildly, no, no, no. You know the segment we do here on the show. It's not just wild speculation. It's a spoiler. And we got hit with it once again. Last week's It's Not Just Wild Speculation, It's a Spoiler hit hard. This week, we're hitting even harder because we're hitting you this week with John Cena and Solo Sokoa. I've been talking about John Cena and Solo Sokoa nonstop. I keep saying This is the match to have. It's going to give us ruthless aggression, Umaga versus John Cena vibes. And what happens? What happens with this story that we're being told? I said from the beginning of this run, I would expect that John Cena is going to wrestle at Crown Jewel. And I would expect that he's going to wrestle against Solo Sokoa. He shows up and he says what we've been talking about. He hasn't won a singles match. We talk about how giving John Cena is all the time. He hasn't won a singles match since, I don't know, 19 diggity two. It's been 2,000 plus days since he won a televised singles match. And he's looking for one. And who's the guy that comes out to challenge him? Solo freaking Sokoa. Can you believe it? John Cena is going to wrestle Solo Sokoa. Yeah, I can believe it. Oh, really? Why can you believe it? Because Sam Roberts wildly speculated about it weeks ago. All you have to do is listen. Because when this dude is wildly speculating, the truth is there. And we got it once more. Before we go on, let's uh, let's get to the news and notes uh, real quick before we get into emails. Um, I do like that... Uh, WWE, when they get preempted and they go over to FS1 instead of Fox, they load up those shows. That's good news for us. It's just like when wrestling shows go head-to-head, it's good news for us. When wrestling shows get preempted and they're on a cable channel instead of a network channel, it's good for us because we get a good show. And what do we have? Roman Reigns returns to SmackDown on Friday to do the contract signing with, uh, with uh, whose game is it? L.A. Knight. Yeah. Roman Reigns and L.A. Knight face-to-face. I'm excited about it because I love seeing L.A. Knight get tested and seeing him ace it. I love watching L.A. Knight get put into the ring with the top names in the industry. Can you survive this one? And he goes, yeah, and he does. It's awesome. L.A. Knight and Paul Heyman were great uh, one-on-one on SmackDown. Just a fun time. It's a fun thing. Speaking of fun, uh, now we know why Nick Aldis 
was named general manager of SmackDown because he doesn't take any guff. As we're approaching Survivor Series, which seems like it may or may not be brand warfare, we got some real tension between Nick Aldis and Adam Pierce. Nick Aldis throws Jey Uso out of the building, or at least attempts to, before Adam Pierce goes, whoa, 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 let's cool it. And Nick Aldis goes, yeah, you're right, let's cool it. Security, throw them both out. Adam Pierce doesn't like that. It's last week, Adam Pierce was in charge of both shows. Now, because of his promotion, he's got a Brit throwing him out of the SmackDown arena. Oh, you want to play like this? This is the game you want to play? Okay, we'll play this game. Now, we've got a rivalry. Now, we've got Raw and SmackDown competing. And just like that, see, it's just that simple. Brand warfare is nothing new. But for some reason... WWE for so long just refused to do those little things. Just that one little segment. And now all of a sudden, we've got a reason. And it's it's the little details, right? It's not just the fact that Nick Aldis is throwing out Jey Uso and Adam Pierce. The fact that Nick Aldis has no loyalty for Jey Uso because you're not one of my guys. I'm here for my guys. It's not just that Adam Pierce was mad and got in his face a little bit. It's that Jey Uso said, come on, man, and he... He patted Adam Pierce on the back, right? Now we see this sense of loyalty. Now we see this sense of team. Jey Uso is part of Team Raw. Now, does, I mean, it could mean that for war games, you're going to get the baby faces of Raw versus the heels of SmackDown because I think what you won't do is just have brand versus brand for the sake of it, right? Um, are you going to do champion versus champion and do Seth versus Roman or Roman versus Drew? I don't think so. I don't think they're going to sacrifice good story for the sake of it. I think what we could end up having is one traditional Survivor Series match that's brand versus brand. Um, because I don't even know, like you could say, well, what about Rey Mysterio versus Gunther? IC title versus United States title. It's possible, but Logan Paul may be the champion by then. And I don't see Logan Paul versus Gunther as a possibility. Why put Logan Paul in that position? So, uh, I mean, if they did, it'd be very entertaining, but why? So, unless they're going to do war games. See, the problem is that, well, okay, Judgment Day is tag team champions again. But then you can't do LA Knight. See, if you're going to do baby faces versus heels for war games, it's like there's too many, because your raw baby faces would be Cody, Jay, Sammy, Seth, but Seth might have a title match. See, because like ideally you'd want Cody, Jay, Sammy, KO, LA Knight versus Jimmy, Solo, Balor, Priest, maybe Dominic. So War Games is probably not going to be brand versus brand, but maybe they'll just do a Survivor Series match that's brand versus brand. And that could be fun, right? If you have a Roman Reigns match and a Survivor Series brand versus brand match and a War Games match, that's a hell of a Survivor Series, my friend. We'll see. It's a hell of a Survivor Series. We'll be keeping our eye on that. But we're also keeping our eye on the email. If you want to email in, the email is notsamwrestling at gmail.com. That's notsamwrestling at gmail.com. By the way, anybody that uh, took part in the Not Sam Wrestling merch sale, 
a month or so ago. Those shirts are going out. Check your mailboxes. You may have them right now as we speak. If you are, rock them, wear them, post them, do whatever you want. They're yours. But uh, yeah, all of those uh, should be going out. They go direct from the printer to you. So you don't have to wait for a middleman. Um, but they should be out this week if you haven't gotten them already. Uh, let's go to Tyler, because he says he's a first-time emailer, sending email to notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Hi, Sam, your podcast helped me get back into wrestling, and I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you enough. My wild speculation, I want Roman to fail at breaking Hogan's record. I think we ha we'll have we all have an idea that Roman won't lose the title until WrestleMania 40, but who will he lose it to? None other than Randy Orton, JK. Cody will finish the story. If it's a dumb idea, then so be it. Okay, well, look, look. I believe you would have to do the math. But I think the Hogan record actually kicks in right after SummerSlam of next year. So if you want him to fall short of Hogan's record, if you just want him to not make Hogan's record, like nobody's going to be talking about Hogan's record going into WrestleMania because we're still going to be months away from that. Cody beating Roman at WrestleMania 40 is not a dumb idea at all. You know, there are many ideas. He, it's obviously not a dumb idea. In fact, that's the idea that I think most people buying tickets would love to see. But if you want to factor Hogan's record into it, the fact is that Hogan's record would be broken after SummerSlam, I think. You have to check the calendar. So maybe the idea would be that he holds it until SummerSlam and then people go, oh, well, uh, if he holds it until SummerSlam, he's definitely going to break the record, right? Like you have him hold it until right before the record breaks and then it gets taken away from him. So he just misses Hogan's record. Like, that's what I want to see with all these records that people have now. I want to see somebody almost get a record. I want to see, like, anytime it's advertised that uh, a record's going to, like, if he wins this match, he'll break the record. He always breaks the record. Whether it's Roman, whether it's Gunther, whether it's whoever, they always break the record. I would love to see somebody go, like, if they win this match, they break Hogan's record. And then Roman doesn't break the record because you can never, you'll, he'll never get it back. Like that's how you take something away from somebody that they will never get back. They almost had this thing. And now he'd have to get the title back and hold it for another, you know, however many thousand days it is. It's you, that you, you take something from him that he can never get back. Um, Sheridan writes in, uh, hey, Sam. Oh, Shea Boogie. Shea Boogie writes in. Great stuff as always. We are truly in a golden age of wrestling. We really are. Um, we're cheering the good guys. We're booing the bad guys. So my question for you is, who is your favorite bad guy you ever cheered? And who is your favorite good guy you booed? Mine are Bad News Barrett for bad guys. I thought his segment was hilarious. For good guys, I booed Big Show. Because I never got him knocking out Kofi and got over him knocking out Kofi in that cage match. All right. Um, favorite bad guy that I ever cheered? Uh, it's probably... Favorite bad guy that I ever cheered? Um, Dominic. <laughs> Dominic Mysterio. 
the best bad guy ever. And favorite good guy that I ever booed, John Cena. There was a time when I booed John Cena, I'm sure, and he's the greatest. Um, Ultra Boy, what's the haps? I have a fantasy booking prediction. Partly depends on if CM Punk comes back. Okay, well, already. And fully depends on if The Rock comes back. Uh, I'm sorry, dude, I can't. Uh, Kanjay, what do you think of this WWE versus Impact Forbidden Door card? It's a whole card, dude. Moose versus Lashley sounds great. Josh Alexander versus Roman Reigns. I don't know if I'd do that. I mean, it's interesting, but I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's a more dominant champion in recent years, though, than Josh Alexander. Um, look, I can't go over the whole card, dude. Come on. Be realistic. Uh, Max Rubenstein writes in, with Sting's announcement on last week's Dynamite about retirement. Okay, come on. I already talked about it, bro. Come on, Max. Uh, Raj, I've been a wrestling fan for 30 years. Been listening to your podcast since WrestleMania 39. First time writing in. Appreciate you, Raj. What a breath of fresh air this podcast has been in the internet wrestling community. Tell more folks about it. I was swerved when Aldis kicked Pierce out of the SmackDown venue. I'm loving the dynamic. Their animosity uh, will bring a new era of the Raw versus SmackDown Wars. I don't want to see Aldis versus Pierce at WrestleMania 40. I do want to see how one will try to out-GM the other. What are some of your predictions and wild speculations as to where the battle of the GMs can go? Well, it certainly is no coincidence that it's happening leading into SummerSlam. And I think that's part of it. But I think that we do have to realize that we're in a very interesting time because for the first time that I can think of, the GMs can absolutely have a legitimate wrestling match. Adam Pearce has never had a real WWE match and Nick Aldis has never had a WWE match. But Adam and Nick can both 100% still go. Neither one of them are over the hill. Both are still in good shape. We realistically could have a put your boots on, put your tights on, wrestling match between Nick Aldis and Adam Pierce. Do I think that can headline a pay-per-view? No. Do I think it could be fun? I mean, can you imagine a Survivor Series where the general managers actually wrestle? I wouldn't mind seeing him wrestle. Maybe that's just because I want to see Nick Aldis get a WWE match because I like him. But yeah, you know, I could see it. I, I think it's more geared towards Survivor Series though. I think it's geared towards Survivor Series and then... As it leads on, I think that it just adds stakes, right? You've now got uh, Nick Aldis specifically picking people for the Royal Rumble because he needs them to beat Raw guys. Like usually you just award people opportunities in the Rumble. But now both Adam Pierce and Nick Aldis want the winner of the Royal Rumble to be wrestling for their brand. So they will only choose people for that Rumble match that they think can actually win. It is perfectly legitimate for Nick Aldis to go, I am not putting you in the Rumble this year because I don't think you can win. I think he has at least a one in 30 shot of winning. I'm putting him in. Uh, you know, it's it's about bragging as to what show gets the main event of WrestleMania. It's bragging and, and trying to make sure that your show is the one that gets the Money in the Bank briefcase. It's all that stuff. I think it's really good. I'm with you. Uh, Nicholas writes in, uh, first, thanks for the Pat Buck interview, instructive and fun. If you haven't seen that yet, it's on the Not Sam Wrestling YouTube channel. Uh, great conversation with Pat Buck. And I think one of my favorite parts is him really breaking down what a producer does. We keep hearing like, oh, he's going to WWE to be a producer. He's going to AEW to be a producer. I think most people, even the smart brainiacs that listen to this show, don't really know what a producer is. And Pat really breaks it down. Um, Nicholas writes in, something bugs me about AEW. I'd like to have your thought. 
Don't you think that their product can be confusing and prevent new fans from being hooked? My point is there's too many titles. The trios are ones are pointless in my opinion, plus a ton of mid-card titles and ROH titles too. Less titles, more story. That's my point. So um, I think they need less titles or at least they need to, to define their titles better, right? If you're going to have all the titles, um, you know, I don't mind the world title, obviously, the international title, the women's title tag team title and i actually don't mind the trios title because you have had moments like i think the trios title is really good when you've got an act like the acclaimed i think when you've got an act like uh an act like the house of black i think there are as long as you're building trios it's okay to have a trios title you know there have been six man titles throughout the history of wrestling the von erics were the six man champions but they also worked against people like the Freebirds. you know like they built a trios division. So as long as you build a division, I think a trios title is fine. And AEW does do that. I think where it gets wonky is like, I don't understand the need for the TNT title and the, uh, what's it called? And the international title, unless the TNT title is only defended on TNT. I think Chris Statlander should be only defending the title on Dynamite. And I think Christian should only be defending the title on Collision, TNT, and TBS. Otherwise, it's very confusing. I don't think the ROH title should be a part of AEW television. You're right. That is confusing. And of course, what do you, you know, you know, you emailed into this show and said, hey, Sam, do you think story is important in wrestling? You know who you're talking to, okay? Don't, 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 don't try to brown nose with me. I know. I mean, you're, I'm going to tell you, you're right. I'm going to tell you, of course I do. I love stories in wrestling, but you know I think that. Uh, uh, Micah writes in, on last Friday's SmackDown, Cena teased retirement from WWE. My question is, how would you book Cena's retirement match and who would it be against? Well, I can tell you flat out, John Cena would lose. Uh, and that would be his request. Um, I think Cena's retirement match, I would have him win a bunch of matches. That's key. Build him back up. I'd have him start winning matches again. I might even give him a month as champion. Like, he couldn't just come in and have a retirement match. He'd have to come in and out sporadically for a period of time and remind people that he's unbeatable. And then I'd have, you know, whether it's Cody. Cody might be a good person to have John Cena's last match with. Or, or I don't know if there's a heel that I would have beat John Cena. Because the idea is that you're going to take that energy and carry it forward. Like Dom beating John Cena in John Cena's last match would be great. But that's, I mean, I, I, I don't think, I don't think Dom needs it. And I don't think you could do with Dom the things that you could do with somebody who wins that match. You, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I feel like I'd have John Cena beat a whole bunch of people and then have Cody beat him. And that would be seen as retirement match. Uh, Matt writes in, Hi Sam, while I get the purpose of using the undisputed tag team titles as a device to allow heavy hitter main event guys to move between shows when they hold the belts, I'm starting to wonder if the tag team division as a whole is suffering as a result. If this pattern continues of having main event level guys like KO, Sammy, Balor and Priest, now Jay and Cody, exchange the titles, then what's left for the more traditional teams like Imperium, Alpha Academy, Street Profits, and potentially DIY? Um... I know 
that you always preach that not every feud storyline needs to revolve around championships, but I just fear that some of these teams are getting shortchanged. Uh, Matt from Scotland. I get what you're saying because it makes it so that the titles are out of reach. But I also think that the tag team title being on a pedestal this high, number one, it's made it so the tag team championship can main event a show, which wasn't always the case and historically has not been the case. But number two, I feel like a high tide raises all ships. Like I, I feel like with the tag title that high up, there's even more reason to pay attention to what DIY, Alpha Academy, Street Profits, New Day, all these teams, the Brawling Brutes, the LWO, like there's a reason to be in a tag team. It makes sense that these tag team wrestlers would be fighting so hard because the tag team championship is such a valuable piece of gold. And I still, I still feel that way. I get your point. You're not wrong. It's just two different philosophies. Um, John writes in, if you had to make a top five list of rewatchable uh, items in WWE slash wrestling, what would they be? I'm going to just do yours. I'm not doing my whole list for you. It's a whole podcast. Mine are WWE countdown, biggest blunders, especially the parts regarding Sid and the Steiners uh, and the Dungeon of Doom. Okay. That's weird that that's top five, but okay. Triple H versus uh, Daniel Bryan, WrestleMania 30. That's interesting because I probably would have picked the triple threat for the moment at the end. Sasha versus Bailey take over Brooklyn. Boom. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Flair versus Steamboat. Chi-Town Rumble. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not wrong at that. Uh, I'm not mad at that. And then Steamboat versus Savage. WrestleMania three. Big Steamboat guy, huh? Um, yeah, mine would. Uh, yeah, not most of those wouldn't make my list, but. I don't know. Maybe one day I'll make that list. That's a, it's a fun, it's a fun exercise. Uh, Jeremy from Iowa writes in, uh, first off, Fruity Pebbles is the goat morning cereal. Uh, if watching premium live events in the AM, thank you very much. I, yeah, I was right about that. Anyway, uh, do you think Edge's second run in the WWE was at the level of Shawn Michaels second run? I feel like Sean's run was amazing for longevity of his career, but I felt like with the success of the judgment day being a creation of edge, you could argue that he built the company up in the time he was there, which is crazy because he was only back for three years. No. But I think that's an unfair question. The fact is that Shawn Michaels' second, Shawn Michaels is the only person I can think of whose second run is as good, if not arguably better than his first run. The fact that in his second run, we got, that was never supposed to happen, we got classics at WrestleMania with Kurt Angle, yeah, with Kurt Angle, with John Cena, the fact that we got uh, with Jericho, the whole, and then not only did we get the WrestleMania match with Jericho, we got the whole storyline with Jericho later on. We got WrestleMania 24 with Flair. We got WrestleMania 25 with Undertaker. We got WrestleMania 26 with Undertaker. We got WrestleMania 23 again with Cena. I mean, no. The, Sean's second run is completely untouchable. I think Edge's second run was great. I just don't, I, it would be hard for me to argue that anyone's run in general is better than Sean's second run. Y yeah. I, it, it's, it's an unfair comparison, honestly. Uh, Faith writes in, hope you're well, love the show. Thank you. 
I recently had an argument over Reddit, that's dangerous, with someone, and I was hoping to get your opinion. Don't put it on Reddit. I commented on a poll regarding the mystery person was wearing MJF's mask attacking Jay White. I simply said Danhausen should have been an option. Some person then commented back saying Danhausen wouldn't get a title run, blah, blah, blah. I defended my answer saying Danhausen would just love to cause mischief and mayhem, not necessarily wanting a title shot. Then the person had the audacity to say meaningless speculation and wishful thinking are a waste of my time. I then proceeded to explain how wild speculation is part of being the fun of a wrestling fan. What are your thoughts? Thank you for all you do. Okay, Faith, two thoughts there. Number one, I don't like the person you're arguing with. The idea that wild speculation is not essential is incorrect. Of course you must wildly speculate. I think that the person that you're arguing with only watches or listens to podcasts for dum-dums. There are many wrestling podcasts out there for dum-dums. This is not a podcast for dum-dums. This is a podcast for the thoughtful. This is a podcast for the intelligent. This is a podcast for those who can actually absorb what it is that they are watching on their entertainment box. This person you're arguing with sounds like a dum-dum which you can never take what a dum-dum says personally because they are dum-dums. However, I do think it is absurd to think that Danhausen could be the masked man. I, 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 don't, I think the idea that you're posting on Reddit, who do you think the masked man is, and then responding to anybody's speculation, well, wishful thinking, that's a waste of my time. Well, your time was so valuable, you were just on this thread about who's the masked man. Um, but no, I mean, I, I think... You know, you're talking about a, a world title main event level reveal. You're talking about something that is theoretically going to be MJF's next feud, right? You're talking about what should be the biggest story in AEW. The last time that that devil mask was revealed, it was MJF returning. is a huge deal. So no, the idea that Danhausen would be doing this because he likes mischief is would be very bad for AEW. It'd be very, very bad for that company if that happened. That said, you speculate. You speculate to your heart's content and you don't worry about these dum-dums trying to get you to stop speculating because this is not a podcast for dum-dums. Uh, hey, yo, this person writes in. I think it's pretty clear that we're headed towards Rhea Ripley versus Becky Lynch at WrestleMania 40. I don't know. Okay, if you say so. However, I believe that the perfect opponent for Rhea is Liv Morgan. The history is there. They used to be a tag team. Rhea turned on her before joining the Judgment Day. They lasted all the way to the end of the Rumble match, and Liv is now out because of Rhea in kayfabe. I know it's not a very believable opponent, but her coming back around January to win the Rumble and be, in the, be the Iron Woman once again would get people behind her. I don't... If Liv Morgan is going to beat Rhea Ripley, then yeah. If she's going to be like a, a, a female Brian Danielson, then yes. Yes, right? But I, I think the attraction to Becky Lynch versus Rhea Ripley is that nobody beats Becky Lynch at WrestleMania. Like Becky Lynch is the biggest female star in the company. So the idea is that, well, nobody's beaten Rhea Ripley. She's unstoppable. But nobody beats Becky Lynch on that stage. Like Rhea Ripley's not going to beat Becky Lynch. So who's going to win? I don't know. Let's speculate wildly. If you're, just, It's a totally different story with Liv Morgan. Liv Morgan would just be the underdog because you're going, well, I think Rhea Ripley's going to win. And then Liv Morgan, you know, 
gives us that moment. I also don't know if Liv Morgan is the last person at a WrestleMania, but yeah, I mean, if people get behind her to that level and they can make a new giant star out of Liv Morgan, not that she's not a giant star now, she's a huge star now. But if, I mean, if the Royal Rumble can turn her into an even bigger star to the point where, you know, I'm not against it. I'm a Liv Morgan fan. It's just at the moment, not as big of a match as Becky Lynch versus Rhea Ripley, if that's where it's going. Uh, Adam wants to know if we're allowed to fantasy book Alexa Bliss. I mean, let that woman have her child, dude. Come on, bro. She's trying to be a mom over here. Let that woman have her child. Uh, Jonathan writes in, love the show so much. I even watch it before any football recap. Good. Anyway, I was just curious if we could do a quick Sin Cara lesson. I've lost track over the years. No, I'm not doing it now, but I should have because Mystico was on, uh, uh, Rampage. I watched Mystico versus Rocky Romero, two out of three falls. And I was thinking it would be a fun trip to to go down the tree of Sin Cara. Because Mystico, I don't think Mystico is Sin Cara or Sin Cara Negro. Because Sin Cara was Sin Cara. And then there was Sin Cara Negro. And then eventually Sin Cara Negro actually became Sin Cara. But Sin Cara started as Mystico. But when he left Mexico, somebody else took over Mystico. So when he left being Sin Cara, somebody else was Mystico and somebody else was Sin Cara. So he had to come up with a new... It's wild. We'll do a Sin Cara show sometime, maybe a bonus video or something. Um, Jay writes in, with the recent announcement of Adam Pearce and Nick Aldis as respective general managers of Rod Smackdown, I'm curious as to if there will be a forthcoming announcement of a GM for NXT. With it being near the end of 2023, uh, nearing the completion of the no on-screen appearance condition of his release, what do you think the chances are we might see the return of William Regal as the NXT GM in January 2024? Um, well, I don't know. You know, I have no idea what his contract is, if he's allowed to do that or not. Uh, I would love it. I think it'd be great. You know, I think the idea of Shawn Michaels as the upper authority figure and William Regal as the day-to-day, -day, everybody loves William Regal. It would give you some a sense of history. I think it would be a good idea. If you're going to have a GM of NXT, he'd be the perfect fit. I just don't know if he's allowed to or not. I have no idea. All right, last email of the day. Alex writes in, what's up, Sam? I have a question that you might appreciate. Big emphasis on might. Also, I just recently started getting into wrestling podcasts, and yours has been one of my go-tos. Probably should be the number one go-to. Great job. Thank you. Some of your listeners just need to give better questions. <laughs> You are coming off very cocky here, Alex. This better be good. And it cracks me up when you get frustrated at some of the questions. Okay, all right, let's see. Because a lot of people think they're like, oh man, that's such a stupid question. Here's mine. They don't realize they also have dumb questions. Let's see. I have a wild speculation of my own. Good. That I think would be the only way we could see Cody turn heel. Although we all love to be a part of his entrance. LOL. I lulled. I wonder what's yours is before you... No, I'm not going to do... I'm not going to give you my Cody Turns heels. I'm going to read yours. Already, you're putting me to work. I don't like that. Uh, he Alex thinks LA Knight, and as over as he is, he's looking toward the tribal chief Roman Reigns. That's already happening, unfortunately, for your theory. I think we all hope that match happens. It's already been announced, dude. This email was sent. It was already official, I think, when this email was sent. It's happening. 
and when it does, how about an outside, how about interference from Cody? Or do you see the crowd turning against Cody? I would love to see a heel Cody. A swap of white to black in his ring attire. By the way, he's already done black tights. It's already happened for the adjustment. What do you think? Cody is a heel possibility at this point, or do we accept him as a baby face? No, come on, Alex. Alex. Of course not. Why would you turn Cody now? Now is not the... Eventually, yes. Eventually, Cody will be a heel. But now, why would you do it now? Just because? Because you can? Because could you imagine if? That's not a good reason to turn somebody heel at all. No, that would be terrible. You're saying in two weeks you want to turn Cody heel? It's ridiculous. He's right in the middle of his rivalry with the bloodline. He still doesn't like Roman Reigns. Why would you turn him heel? If you're going to turn him heel, it would have to be after his next battle with Roman Reigns. He would have to either finish the story or fail to finish the story again to have him turn heel. Either one of those could turn him heel. Finishing the story could turn him heel eventually. Not right away. It's going to be a feel-good moment. Not right away. And not finishing the story could drive him mad. But the idea that he just turns on L.A. Knight just because. And what? L.A. Knight is the new Cody Rhodes? Come on, dude. It's insane, Alex. Get your stuff together. You put the expectations on yourself very, very high. Let me do one more. Because just I see the topic is WWE announcers. Um, Avik writes in, thanks for getting this on the air. Oh, you're very confident, Avik. Is it just me? Uh, who notices whenever WWE announcers remind us Damian Priest has money in the bank briefcase and mention what is foreign guarantees that he will not cash in, especially when he says, who knows, he may even cash in later tonight. It puts me off as well as, as we all love to cash in, even there's a 1% chance. Um, is it just me who notices whenever WWE announcers remind us? Oh, oh, you're saying that you are annoyed that they remind us that he's got the briefcase because it guarantees that he won't cash in. Well, I mean, I guess, but they got to sell it, right? If he's not cashing in, they don't want you to forget about it unless he's cashing in, which I guess means that if they're not letting me forget about it, it reveals that he's not cashing in. So I get your point, but... I mean, that's a that's a big part of who he is right now. He's senor money in the bank. It's important. All right, I, I, I'm I going to keep reading emails. It's going on too long. It's going on too long. I appreciate all of you who email in. I appreciate it if you don't email in. If you just watch the show. If you watch the show, you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to leave something in the comments. Hit like, hit subscribe, send the video along. Tell your friends about this great podcast as long as they're not dum-dums. If you're listening to the show on Apple, leave a rating and a review. If you're listening on Spotify, leave a rating, maybe answer the Q&A that's up. Whatever you want to do. I appreciate you all, and I will see you again for another episode of Not Sam Wrestling.